Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, White Sox fans. Brett Ballantini here, hosting the Southside Sox Mothership Podcast. Hey, guess what? It's number 88. It's Crazy 88's podcast, and we got crazy, crazy topics for you. Second half, we're going to be talking, well, we're going to be talking baseball, including, yeah, sorry, the lockout. Sort of can't avoid it. But first half, it's fun time. Another Meet the Players podcast. Sam Reeves is with us. He's just joined us up. He hasn't even necessarily, I don't know, he's, he's, he's pitched in a game for us. But he hasn't written anything yet. But along with this podcast, of course, as usual, the uh, Meet the Players little questionnaire, uh, which will give you an opportunity to get to know Sam a little bit better if there are things that we don't cover uh, in print in this podcast here. But, uh, you know, feel free, follow along as you listen or as you watch uh, and enjoy uh, getting to know Sam Reeves, our newest Southside Sox staff member. Sam, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you, Brett. It's good to join Southside Sox read a lot of stuff and watch a lot of stuff you guys so hey uh, so tell me how much of this hour or so we're going to just spend talking about Mundelein <laughs> as much as you want I mean <laughs> yeah uh hey it's a connection there we go see yeah, can I end up having a connection with pretty much everyone who ends up joining up I don't know how or why you know uh certainly ages aren't always close to the same backgrounds no one lives near me at this point. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, hey, Mundelein, I did not, I could not find, I don't know if I even own my my all-star jersey from back then. This is all backstory that I probably have blabbed about this before. So probably people say, Brett, shut up. Quit talking about your one moment of glory when you're 12 years old. So we won't do that. But Mundelein, we I, officially team Mundelein over here. And, of course, Sam, I think, is also on that team. So, Am I got anything to say? 
leave it in the comments and then we'll give you some back talk. Uh, but anyway, we'll get back to my line maybe in the second half. Uh, first of all, Sam, uh, I got to applaud you. Um, the last one of these I just did with uh, Christina uh, Erdo, uh, she uh, admitted that uh, through just some guidance of a couple select relatives, she managed to escape uh, the, suff- the suffocating ignorance of Cub fandom. Her whole family are Cub fans, and she just managed to see that like uh, uh, that crack of daylight and you know embrace the South Side, em- embrace the right way. Uh, you and your brothers, influenced by your brothers, apparently uh, were always somewhat, uh, I guess, contrarian, despite uh, grown up Northish side uh, decided to say, uh, no, White Sox are the way. Uh, explain how you guys came came to that decision. Um, I don't I don't really know how they came to it. I think it was really just an influence of, you know, I think a lot of people in our family were Cubs fans growing up and stuff and so eventually they were like eh, I don't really want to be into that like let's let's try to do something different let's let's stand out on our own let's let's root for the other team at this point you know as in the in the 90s you know early 90s it was pretty much a, a Sox feel you know with Frank mm-hmm. Thomas coming and everything and you know then you had Sammy Sosa moving over to the north side and during that time so it was pretty much my brothers were like, Hey, don't, don't do that. And even my dad didn't know he bought me a Kerry Wood Jersey and a Frank Thomas Jersey. And I was like, I don't like the blue <laughs> and red one. That doesn't look good. I don't want that. It's not for me. Let's get that out of here. And so, you know, even, you know, he's not a big baseball guy, but we're just, you know, we're, we're going to steer away from that. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to go South side. We're going to go <laughs> you know, sure. black and white through and through. Sure. And now James Baldwin was, was one of the early guys that you connected with. And is that just the, the, the bull, bulldog pitching? Was he always pitching when you decided to tune in or go to a game or how'd that come about? So the first game I ever went to was, I think it was 2000 uh, at New Comiskey. And then he was pitching against the Red Sox. I think the White Sox went five to one or six to one in that game. And he'd pitched like seven innings of two hit ball. And I immediately was like, that's the best pitcher in the world. Uh, <laughs> it's the only pitcher I I know <laughs> at this point in my life. But uh, no, and then anytime you know he was pitching, I'd make sure you know I'd ask my brothers, "Oh, who's pitching tonight?" And they'd be like, "Oh, you know, now not James Bond." I go, "Oh, that." Nah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to watch that. Right, I watch games every five days. It's really yeah. easy, you know. It gives you the freeze up time for other things. Uh, yeah, Baldwin, along with that whole staff, man, they just pitched their hearts out. Unfortunately, it seems like they pitched their arms out in that 2000 push because they all sort of, you know, hit the wall and, and died. But, uh, yeah, I mean, James Baldwin sort of, he embraced that, uh, remember that Blackjack McDowell, that mentality. He's definitely had some bulldog to him, uh, definitely had some feistiness to him. And, I mean, how can't you get behind that? You know, that's what right. you want to see in your guys, you know. Yeah. Come on. Uh, all right. Somehow... Uh, your favorite moment is very recent. Uh, it somehow manages to, we're going to get to 2005. You can't do one of these, not talk about 2005. Right. But what you are citing as your favorite White Sox moment is the uh, near perfect game, no hitter for Carlos Rodon. Uh, last year came out of nowhere. No one expected it. I think we're all shocked. I know we, we tried to slap together a last minute, like post game podcast. This is like, oh, no, come on. This wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, tell me a little bit more about, uh, why is it there's redemption story? Did it uh, signify great things for the team? Uh, what about that game? So yeah, big part of it was redemption story. Um, so I lived in Minnesota for a very long time. Um, just being up there and trying to catch a Sox twins game, whatever I could. So anytime we'd go there, 
you know, or look at tickets. I'm like, you know, who's pitching? You know, it's the same thing as I was kid. Who's pitching? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Carlos Rodon pitching because you know that might get us one win, you know, out of the three <laughs> where they get massacred in Minnesota every year. So, you know, I would just, I was following him a while for his career, you know, and then obviously with the first shoulder injury, I was pretty bummed out for him. The re, you know, build him back to it. Tommy John back to the square one, you know, everybody wrote him off, you know, you know, he's just injury prone. He's never going to amount to much, you know, he's never going to get back to that player he was. So, and then on my own before the season, I had written my own little blog about why he was the key to the 2021 White Sox, you know, because he was fighting for that fifth spot. If he could get to back to, even remotely what he was when he started his career would really lift this rotation. So when he started off the season the way he did, everyone was like, oh, we're we're getting something out of this. So, you know, that <laughs> that game against Cleveland, you know, he just cruised along. I didn't even know remember until I think like the sixth inning. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Box score. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. We're watching something. All right. Everybody shut up. <laughs> yeah. Nobody say anything, you know. So, you know, and then he hits, you know, Roberto Perez in the toe and I'm like, oh no, he's going to unravel. He's going to pull a Dylan Mm -hmm. Cease on me here and he's going to walk 14 batters in a row or something crazy. But, you know, no, and then he he finishes the game off and immediately just start bawling my eyes out just out of pure (laughs) happiness. Like, this is amazing. I love this. I feel so great. Always have been a Rodon person my Mm -hmm. whole life, you know, just since he's been here and I was just so happy, so elated at that moment. And then obviously he had a fantastic season for us. Last year was interesting because it seemed like right, I don't remember exactly, but it seemed like right out of the gate in spring training, there was something different about him. And of course, you know, the thing is, I mean, sure if he seems like he was fifth starter, but you know, not a lot counted, not a lot. He's not being counted on for much. Uh, It seemed like almost anything you get from him, you know, he's uh, being dependent on in the rotation. Come on, the fifth starter, you know, a lot of things can go wrong. No big deal. But at what point did you think, was it maybe a first regular season game when he had a good start? Because, you know, spring training, you're going to say, all right, well, how real is this? Now, he was so great in spring training. Was that giving you a feeling that, okay, I think sort of my wishes and and what what I've written in the blog might actually come true? Because when you you wrote, it might have been like, well, a little bit more wish casting than, you know, like this is going to happen. But after he has that spring training, I'll be like, wait, this really could be the year. Yeah. So when I wrote that, it was even before spring training happened, mm-hmm. you know, they just like signed him that $3 million one year deal, just giving right. him a shot at it. So when I watched him in spring training, I was like, okay, because they were talked about how Ethan Katz had unlocked something right. in him that wasn't there, you know, with his hips and his legs, you know, moving all that. And right. I was like, all right, well, let's see what he does, you know, spring training. And he's looking at, you know, magnificent because it was going to be between him and Ray Lowe and Michael right. Kopech at the time. Nobody knew yeah. if he was going to be in the rotation, or whatever, for that five spot. So, and then, you know, I think it was, two or three innings or games or whatever he pitched into spring training, it was immediate. Everybody coming out, Rodon's a fifth starter immediately. Like it's game set match at that point. So that was all right. I think, okay, you know, let's see how this carries over. And then his first start in Seattle, he threw five innings, you know, everyone's like, all right, you know, see what he does. You know, he didn't do anything bad. He looked fine. His control was good. You know, velocity was floating 92, 93. So, and then obviously as he progressed on, velocity was staying up, you know, that arm looked good, stayed strong. So I was like, this is getting pretty crazy already. You know, we're into May, you know, he's he hasn't faltered anything, he's pitching really well, he's getting, you know, all you know, looked at for all star stuff, you know, things like that. So when he was getting to that point, I was like, 
I think he could actually win the Cy Young if he wanted yeah. to right now, you know, just yeah. as well as he's been going, obviously, you know, with Lance Lynn going at the same time at that and Garrett Cole and all, all the other people that they throw in there. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's look at this left-hander in Chicago yeah. real quick. This guy's electric right now. No one's doing what he's doing. So, but then, you know, it was that weird point of the season where nobody, you know, right in the beginning of April, nobody knew what to expect from anybody. You know, it was kind of a weird coming off the COVID year, seeing how people are going to react to getting spring training back and doing all that. And he was just lighting it up. Yeah. So I was, I was over the moon all season with him. Obviously, you know, he had that, you know, couple stints, you know, I had to rest his arm, stuff like that. So. And when he came out in that playoff start and hit 99, I think I yelled louder than I've ever yelled in my Amazing. life. Amazing. Holy cow. Yeah, that made everybody do a double take. Uh, we're going to put a pin in Carlos Rodon because something tells me in the second half of this, uh, we're talking about maybe the offseason. Rodon might come up. So uh, let's pause on Rodon. And, and here's a graceful segue. Okay. Among favorite ballpark foods, Sam, and I want to say this as a connection to Minnesota because I just told a story recently on a podcast when we were talking about helmet foods that I had never seen anything like a helmet Sunday until I went to Minnesota. And this was Metrodome era and saw a bunch of people like in heavy coats, even though they say it's like climate controlled and every game was 72 degrees. Yeah, right. It was freezing in there. Maybe we were high up. I don't know. And they're just going to town. You know, they got like the funnel cake in one hand and they're just going to town on a helmet Sunday. And I was just, my jaw dropped. I was like, what is going on here? But, uh, you know, listen, apparently because you can't say no as you're making your run through the stations, uh, helmet Sunday can come up sometimes for you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so when in Minnesota at the new, you know, Target Field, when they first built right. that, and we would go there, uh, they had mini donuts, and then they would have the helmet Sunday section. So my fiance loves mini donuts, so she'd get those. And I'm like, I want ice cream. And I'm like, mm, you know, helmet, helmet Sunday. We got to try that. <laughs> absolutely have to try that. And I was like, you know, this is great. And I think I also had like, I think I did one in New York too. It might have been fries or something. They had a big helmet full oh of something. God. So anytime you have a helmet size something, I'm in. <laughs> it's a dessert that eats like a meal. It's a side that eats like a meal. You know, right. and you're just piling three hot dogs. Just eat everything out of a helmet. Why haven't we been doing this, you know, for decades? Why is this just a recent phenomenon? Right. Uh, my goodness. Uh, all right. It was good. You know, I got touch base on that. I think I actually... I don't think I've ever had a helmet. I've never been so courageous to have a helmet Sunday, but I have had helmet nachos. This is like, yeah, okay, I'm here. I'm not going to go station to station. This is going to be my meal. And, oh, boy, the, you know, this is a meal. It's a helmet. And I got a souvenir, you know. So yeah, you can keep it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, we got in touch not too long ago. Uh, again, you've already suited up for, and we'll, we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, already suited up, you know, for us. I got you right in. Apparently, we really needed you as a, as a uh, um, an arm out of the pen. Um, but uh, hop on with us now, and obviously, we'll be getting um, some writing and more podcasting, et cetera, from you, uh, provided we ever have actual baseball to talk about, or maybe even if we don't. Uh, but uh, tell me, uh, I dropped a line to you. Uh, what's going through your head when uh, this guy from Southside Sox says, uh, uh, hey, Sam, what's up? First thought was, oh, <laughs> I know that name. I was like, hmm, I wonder, what I, I wonder what's going to happen next. No, I was like, all right, let's run with it. Let's see what we can do. And I've been, I had my own little blog I've been writing on for, I think, only a year. 
you know, all all sports, you know, just my side of things, you know, nothing, <laughs> no actual right. factual information, just my own thoughts. But, sure. You know, so, you know, I have so very minimal writing experience, but I was like, I don't, I don't have anything that a lot of these people who've come from Southside Sox that I follow and don't do have, you know, reached out or anything about me. So I was like, all right, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Uh, and, and one of the things you told me um, early on was a sort of um, obscure things, um, you know, as, as subject matter, is that just sort of trying to go off the grid and, and, and take a different take on things or uh, what does that mean when you say something like that? Yeah. So I like to write about things that I don't see many articles about or blogs mm-hmm. about or stuff like that, you know, things that nobody's touching on, you know, um, like with the Carlos Redon story. You know, that I wrote, you know, nobody's looking at them. Nobody's talking about them. Let's talk about them. Why not? You know, and there was, you know, at the end of the season, I wrote how the 2020 White Sox were an organizational failure, not just a team failure from top to bottom. They failed because nobody's looking at the whole picture. You know, all the team failed or La Russa failed as a manager here or whatever. Like, you know, you got to look at it from top to bottom. You know, they didn't get the right guys. They didn't, you know, do. I mean, they took a shot at the deadline. Didn't work out, you know. Some things just didn't work out. You know, the team was building to try to win that year and it did, didn't work out. So it's a failure technically in their eyes. Yeah. So, you know, I take I take little stuff like, you know, with the Bulls, stuff like that. I'll try to write about things no one's talking about or looking at and just see what I can figure out with it. Uh, that's exactly what we try to do at Southside Sox in addition to our normal coverage, which is going to be a challenge at the moment. Um I think that provides a decent segue to take our quick commercial pause. Please listen to what SP Nation wants you to buy or wants to sell you. And we'll be back in about a minute. We're going to talk a little bit more. White Sox, lockout, lockout league. Who knows? There could be a lot we're still talking about. Uh, Hang with us. Uh, We'll be back in a minute. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. White Sox fans, it's Brett Valentini. It's a Crazy Eights podcast, 88, number 88, Mothership podcast with, it's a Meet the Players podcast with Sam Reeves. He's been kind enough to join me for this podcast. We've got to know a little bit about him. James Baldwin fan. Uh, Pretty much just who's starting today. I'll watch the game if it's a guy I like starting. So James Baldwin back in the day. Kyler Sordan, uh, as of last year in in the uh, very immediate past, perhaps not in 2022, uh, we'll get to that in a second, Sam. Uh, but first, uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining Southside Sox. Nice to have of you here. Of course. Of course. Thank you for having me. Hey, you know, you can follow Sam at uh, 
SAMR33V365A. It's some create, you know, it's, I think it's code. It could be, he could be still undercover, uh, but basically you can find him. I will put it in the podcast. So you can just click on it easy uh, and not have to try to memorize it because I didn't, I didn't, but uh, very entertaining follow as most of our writers are who are actually on uh, Twitter are. So check Sam out there. And hey, listen, before we get into the White Sox, let's just talk about a glistening lockout league debut. Everybody's everybody's uh, performance was a debut because it was the first game we we ever played. The the red the so-called red line go-go's, which is made up of about half of our staff, uh, just put an ugly womp, broke open the proverbial can of whip ass on the Chicago White Sox, shut them out. Jackie Crystal, phenomenal game. You can read it. I will link it. We can read it. It's, it's on the site. You can check it out. You probably already have. Follow along. Jackie, great start. But then who comes in the relief? When Jackie's getting a little tired, Sam Reeves. He just, he just got off the plane. I don't even think, I think maybe the numbers were Velcroed on the jersey. I don't think they were stitched yet. One, two, three inning. I want to say, I don't have the play-by-play. I was trying to look at I don't have the play-by-play. I think you mowed down Andrew Vaughn, Leary Garcia, Adam Engel. I think those are the guys you got towards the bottom of the order, but you know, easing you in. So, uh, yeah. Hey man, well done. How, how's the arm? You iced it. Doing okay. Did ice it? It is, you know, it's still a little sore. Okay. You know, right. It's, it's not easy. I mean, know. we got a big roster. So you're not, they're not going to be many back to backs when we ask it from you. So, you know, just take your time, keep a good line of communication going with your manager and uh, you know, we'll find the right way to use you. Uh, okay. So Sam, uh, glistening debut 0.00 ERA. White Sox, out of the pen. Okay, uh, Sam, uh, alluded to it a little bit, uh, talked a little bit, 2021 White Sox, uh, and you've sort of given them the uh, the failure stamp, which, by the way, I don't particularly uh, disagree with. Uh, assessment of the 2021 team going in, did they uh, defy your expectations? And then by the end of how things went, you know, how was your biorhythms for the whole uh, 2021 season? So obviously it was, you know, the off season was met with a lot of criticism and understanding, you know, misunderstanding of what's going on. Why is Tony the Russo here? He's <laughs> 900 years old. What the hell? He hasn't been in baseball in 10 years. Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the, the photo signature came out with AJ Hinch's signature on his picture. And everybody was like, so nobody knew this was yeah. <laughs> not no even kidding. the graphics department. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and then, uh, you know, that stuff kind of wavered off. We kind of just, you know, let's wait and see what happens, you know. And then, you know, they bring back Rodon, you know, and then they're like, you know, well, we'll see what we get out of Kopech. You know, he's coming back, you know. Um, not really, you know, Liam Hendricks, big signing. Obviously, that was huge for him. Um, so then it was, who's playing second base? Oh, it's Nick Madrigal still. Okay, fine did fine in 2020 let's you know he's got a little hurt he's coming off his injury and come back andrew vaughn where's he playing (laughs) is he gonna play is where is he starting where's he gonna do right you know all these storylines come in so you know spring training happens and then eloy dies yep you know oh crap (laughs) here we go yep you know so you know jumps for a ball he can't catch everyone's you know just Typical Eli, what's he doing? Why is yep. he doing this to us? We had high hopes for everything. Yep. <laughs> they just came screeching yep. hole. 
Yep. You know, and then you know it comes out. Oh, we're gonna give Andrew Vaughn <laughs> reps in left field. Yeah. Plays two games at the end of spring uh, training. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna see what we can get him to do. A career first baseman has never played the outfield even in little league. You know. Yep. Um. Yeah. Then you know they open in and you know Los Angeles of Anaheim. Mm-hmm. You know that first game doesn't go very well. So you know, and then that was the thing is everybody thinks it's the 60 game sprint season again, right. not yeah. the 162 marathons. Everybody's right. overreacting immediately. Right. You know, Oh God, one game. Oh, why did they do this? Why did they do that? You know, it's the first game. Of yeah. the year. I'm guilty of it too. You know? Yeah, sure. And I was immediate reactions were, Oh my God, here we go. This season's going to be terrible. It's back to this. You know, and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 162, 160. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't, yeah. You can't have that 60 game mindset, which we'll get to. Maybe we have this year, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, you know, they had a, a really good start, you know, even getting out of Anaheim a little bit slow. They go to Seattle, take, I think two out of three there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're like, all right, you know, we're keeping pace, you know, and you kind of look at, you know, the twins and the Indians as your, you know, main right. or guardians now, sorry, uh, as your main competitors. And you kind of looked at the guardians lineup at that time. You're like they really don't have much in the hitting, you know, department. So where's our offense going to come from, right. other than Jose Ramirez and Framel Reyes? You know, and then they still got all their their pretty good pitching staff, and for mm-hmm. some reason, always seem to yeah find a way. You know, and the you know there's the Twins who've been the kryptonite for the White Sox for forever. You know, yeah. what are they going to do? You know, they got a lot of returning guys. You know, they didn't really lose much. You know. So we're, you know, it's basically standings watching early in the year. And then the White Sox start to get a little bit of distance between them, you know, by the yeah. all-star break. And then, you know, you get Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, and Carlos Rodon in the all-star game. It's pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim didn't get the play, obviously. Um, took that out on the Rays. After- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and then we got, you know, to that point where, you know, there's, you know, the Luis Robert injury, the Nick Madrigal injury, you know, you're like, what's going on? Yeah. How are they still winning? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have anybody. Yeah. How are they winning? Yeah. So, you know, we're all starting to get team of destiny vibes. Like it's just this next man up mentality. Everybody's just doing what they're asked to do. Guys are stepping up that you would never think would be stepping up. Yep. You know, Adam angles up and out of injury. Danny Mendix traveling back and forth from Charlotte. He probably yep. had the biggest amount of club miles anybody's ever had on yep. a plane. Yep. Um, the bullpen's all over the place with people coming in going, you know, 10-day IL for this, 10-day IL for that. Yeah. It was just wild, wacky, small injuries all year and still getting it done. So, you know, there was the Tony LaRusso devil magic words, you know, came up, you know, and that type of thing. You know, who yeah. knows what's happening? So, you know, they get to the deadline, you know, they trade away Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer and everybody's at the time, fine with it because Craig mm-hmm. Kimbrell was having a fantastic year at the Cubs at the beginning of you know, that year. And, you know, great. We got another bullpen piece. You never can have enough mm-hmm. bullpen pieces. Mm-hmm. And then you get Cesar Hernandez from the Guardians, you know, for Connor Pilkington, I think it was. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's a very minimal deal. Like, all right, cool. Second base. Then, you know, these are good moves at the time. You know, yeah. can, you know, help you get to where you want to. Cesar Hernandez had a great first half. Yeah. You know, Craig Kimbrell, great first half, you know. You got to leverage some things to build and then yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out immediately downhill, yeah. you know, and it probably just time catching up with them. You know, guys are getting tired. Guys are, you know, playing through nagging injuries, you know, just trying to make it to the postseason. 
healthy as you can. And, you know, they did get there. Luis came back. Eloy came back. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting to get a full lineup, but Eloy never really came no. all the way back. You know, he was yeah. just never himself. You know, you yeah. kind of wonder if they rushed it a little bit. You know, he just never really looked comfortable. He had a like, couple games where he looked back by himself, but, um, and, you know, crawling along and everybody's kind of getting that thought in the back of their head like, this team is good, but are they good enough? You know, did Sam did the fact that uh, the White Sox and it wasn't just that the rest of the division was awful. That was a part of it. That was a part of how easy or how calm we could be for most of the year. Right. But the White Sox were a very good team. They were, you know, up until I want to say maybe the last month ish. You know, they were in contention. They were within striking distance of maybe taking the number one seed outright. Mm-hmm. Um, did the fact that it was sort of so easy lack of a better word, easy for the White Sox. It sort of sets you up in the playoffs for expectations being maybe unrealistic and, and uh, higher than they should have been. Uh, you know, because then we saw a real bounce back thing where suddenly the White Sox were just the worst. They didn't have a great series. You know, they didn't get swept. They didn't have a great series. Really no aspect of the, the team, you know, performed, you know, well. Had one, one good offensive run, one strong game. Right. Pitching was pretty terrible. Um, but, you know, of course, they were right there with, you know, they were essentially a team equal to that of Houston. I don't think it was unfair to say they were equal going in and maybe the home field advantage alone would, would, would sway it to the Astros. Uh, did you end up feeling uh, a little bit um, sucker punched or going into the playoffs? Did you say anything we do is gravy? So my – my expectations for the playoffs were for it to be successful, win a series. You know, mm. I didn't, you know, think, sure. you know, I, if they were going to win the world series, obviously we're all going to be elated. You know, fantastic. Great. You know, this is amazing. Even, you know, winning the ALCS, getting to the world series, like that's a great thing. But, you know, in 2020, you know, they played the A's for that three game series, you know, looked great in game one. Lucas Giulio was lights mm-hmm. out game two. You had, you know, Dallas Keuchel, however you want to word you know, yeah. the fielding or whether it was him or whatever, you know, right. game two didn't go well. Game three was then just dead on arrival basically for them. So, you know, this season win a playoff series and then you'll kind of get that momentum going forward. Cause you're, right. you know, your window's supposed to be open. Right. So they come out game one, yeah, it was, you know, it was pretty tight, you know, be part of it. And then, you know, some things moves weren't made at the right time. You know, we left the guy out too long. However, you know, bats were dead you know it just didn't look very good you know then you're like all right it's one game you know one game you know they can bounce back figure it out you know lance land has trouble with the astros no matter what anyway you know just, yeah. you know fat their fastball killers whatever let's see what giolito can do in game two you know he came out pitched pretty well and then he got in the sixth inning looked a little gassed mm-hmm. you know maybe again left out a little bit too long you know and then <laughs> and Larry Garcia tries to play a ball in right field and <laughs> you know things just start yeah. to spiral out of control yeah. and then you're like all right well let's see what happens when they get back home you know first playoff series at home since 2005 you know let's mm-hmm. see what happened or 2008 sorry um and of course the crowd's electric mm-hmm. amazingly electric you know I would I didn't get to go you know whatever it's fine but you know I watch <laughs> on <the> tv going <laughs> watching on tv going that's amazing. Oh yeah, I was impressed. To be part of that atmosphere had to be ridiculous. So, you know, I was before the playoffs happened, I was on the train of start Lance Lynn game three. 
mm-hmm. in front of the home crowd and let him build off that because mm-hmm. he's been doing that all year. Um, obviously, it didn't go that way. You had C start game three, which was okay. You know, it was fine. He, you know, he did what he could to get through that. You know, they didn't look great. And then Larry Garcia hits that three round home run and you're like, world series is back on. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, who knows? At, right. At, at that point you had, you, it, it felt that way because mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, they have took the lead, you know, here's, here we go. Here's the team waking up where mm-hmm. they just woke, you know, a sleeping giant. And then the Astros tied again. And you're like, Oh God, no, yeah. every you know, the world's ending again. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was like huge range of emotion. Obviously they go up, they win that game. And then, you know, game four comes out. Like I said, Carlos Rodon comes out yeah. throwing fireballs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, here we go again. World Series is totally back on now. You know, there's no way they go to game five in Houston and lose. You know, there's just, you know, everything. Right. Momentum, sure. And then Carlos Correa takes a dagger to your back. And then, you know, you know I mean, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is this is what it was. You know, Kimbrough had a horrible postseason. Liam, I don't even think did Liam Hendricks even pitch more than an inning. He didn't pitch in anything that meant anything, right. which is um, which is a problem because yeah. it's not like all the games are blowouts. You know, I mean, right. there was a reason for him to pitch. There was a time for him to pitch. Right. And so let's seg that into uh, a topic that um, obviously we covered a ton, probably in every podcast. We probably only recently broke the streak of talking about every podcast. But your assessment with the full year. Uh, now everything in the rearview mirror from the shock of the announcement to what was, I think, inarguably a pretty um, bad series, playoff series for Tony Larissa. Uh, how do you stand with your feeling about uh, Tony as manager, uh, both for 2021 and going forward? So for 2021, you know, there were, articles all over the place like all oh, players don't understand him he doesn't understand the players and you know, blah 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 all over the place and you know the players are going to come out and support him you know you know he's a great manager he gets all of us you know right. and then you, you, there was you know times he was starting to look like he was having fun with the south side jersey and the cocked hat you know sure. picture that everybody loves you know sure. the yohan mancata dress up day you know everybody you know that looked like you know he was starting to relate a little bit you know it, the manager can relate to you but he's also your manager at the same time you know he's got to keep his own composure so you know early on in the year you know he admitted to not knowing a rule you know certain rules uh, with Liam Hendricks running a base yeah. runner yep everybody harped on that real hard you know so yeah. you know there were there were really low lows but there were some decent highs you know the year mean thing obviously was a really really low point you know yeah. um for every you know for me included like what the hell's wrong with you uh-huh. uh this is fun this is baseball yep. you know um but you know x's and o's you know with him were questionable most of the year you know i felt uneasy at times with what he was doing um but if they, if they won the game i was like who cares they won the game you know some you know it may not have worked out the way you know you wanted it to but they got the win you know that's what matters sure. at the end of the day and then you know he just fell right off in the playoff series like his decisions were horrible but mm-hmm. i like being away from the game for managing the game for 10 years and then just coming back to it and thinking that he's just gonna be snapping right back into you know i won the world series last time i managed a team i can do it again doesn't really work in the new you know how different baseball is mm-hmm. from 10 years ago so mm-hmm. and i think moving forward whether 
he gets this one more year or if it's a year beyond that, I don't know. Like, I don't think anybody knows how long he's going to manage for. Um, I think he'll definitely learn from 2021 as, you know, what he saw, what, how it went, you know, looking at the, you know, things. But I, again, I don't think their analytics mean anything to them mm-hmm. <laughs> as kind of showed. Um, but I, th- I don't know how the front office and him are, right now or obviously with nobody knows how anybody's communicating yeah. right now um but i think if there is a spring training or a, you know, a summer training as we head in 2020 <laughs> yeah. you know whatever they get to ramp up the season you know that's really going to tell where he's at you know like his first press conference of whatever you know we get mm. you know when season kicks off how he you know i'm sure that's going to be a question immediately is like what did you learn from last year you're bringing into this year so i i have confidence in him right now because well he's going to have a lot longer to sit on it and think about yeah. it you know and it could be good or bad you know overthinking it or whatever um but i just i think he's well he has to learn from last year no matter what so yeah i don't know if there's um if there's an intimidation factor if he's a control freak i mean there were times last year we had the famous uh giolito start where like later afterward it almost seemed like he was angrily really almost throwing people under the bus by saying he was he was gassed and, and they knew it but they left him out there and you know i think the Sox ended up losing the game it, it, it turned on something i mean they're home or off him. um but you know even at the time i'm like well you know of course this falls on tony but you know there's a pitching coach yaz went out to talk to him it's like between the bench coach and pitching coach, there doesn't seem to be, you know, Frank Manichino, hitting coach for, for whatever he can do, uh, you know, he seems to be pretty, you know, visible and uh, loud and, you know, he, he's out there for good or bad. And Ethan Katz, obviously undeniable, has done great work individually with guys, you know, resuscitated Carlos Rodon's career, among others, maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, maybe even Ronaldo Lopez. Um, undeniably uh, a, a strong coach, Um in Cairo, the bench coach is there, you know, you know, because, but I, neither of those guys really seem to distinguish themselves in game. And with some of these bullpen decisions, for example, or even deciding who to start in the playoffs, you just wonder, I mean, not that Ethan Katz is supposed to be the guy out there doing the, doing the press conference, but you just wonder how much collaboration there is because there just seemed to be a lot of really bad decision-making. And it's not just Tony, even if he's trying to tell everybody, you know, shut up. We're only going to listen to me. Well, their job is to say, no, Tony, you're doing this. You know, you're not doing this right. Or, Hey, do you know this rule or whatever? The fact that sort of the team took the hit, you know, and, and really Tony was the guy who took the hit, but it really was a team failure in some of these cases, Giolito being left out too long, not knowing a rule. Um, makes me curious. I wonder what that dynamic is because that's a little troubling to me that there's like no safety net. If, if Tony's, Tony's got a, a, a crazy notion. Is any, is anybody going to, you know, buttonhole him and say, hey, Tony, just can you consider this other thing? I'm sure some of that's going on. I'm not sure if it's going on when it needs to be because you got Liam Hendricks pitching in the, you know, pitching as a closer in the ninth inning of games in the playoffs when the Sox are down by six runs. I mean, a lot of strange stuff's going on and it may start with Tony, but it's not only Tony. Right. And then, you know, that was a lot of talk throughout the season is, you know, they had Shelly Duncan there as their analytics coordinator. Cause is he even doing anything? <laughs> you, know? you know, you have Jerry Naren there, you know, why? What's he uh, doing? Is he, he even makes, saying makes, anything? He makes pretty scorecards. We know he <laughs> makes yeah, pretty scorecards. Yeah. You know, he's sitting there on the, on the phone for replays and 
telling them to review a thing that's clearly an out or, you know, they're going to get it wrong, you know, yeah. and, you know, Ethan Katz, you know, obviously, like you said, individual work with these guys has been fantastic, you know, but is he talking to Tony about, you know, here's this mm-hmm. guy, you know, at this pitch count, here's how he gets to this. How's, you know, is anybody, you know, talking game plan during the game and in the Milwaukee series um, that I happened to go to all three games for, I was sitting first base side so I could see into the Sox dugout during the games. So I was, I'd watch Ethan Katz specifically mm-hmm. One, he paces like a maniac, <laughs> <laughs> absolute maniac. If he's not standing at the edge, you know, staring, he's mm-hmm. pacing up and down that dugout, whether or not he's saying anything to anybody right. other than himself, we don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, you try to watch, you know, for, I guess you'd call them clutch situations with pitchers, you know, late in games is he going over to talk to tony is anybody talking right. to each other you know you don't see that much you know obviously the cameras on tv aren't really looking in the dugout 24 7 so you don't see so you know it's something you got to observe when you're there so i didn't really see anybody you know get into tony's ear or have him talk to anybody or look at anybody it was mostly him in the corner of the dugout by himself and everybody else just along the rails so it didn't really look like anybody was collaborating anything in game. So I think that is a big kind of thing. Maybe it is like, they don't know if they can approach him because he's, you know, a hall of fame manager. Do they even try, you know, but that's the part of the new age game is everybody has to have a voice in this. And if he doesn't listen, fine. But I mean, boy, you better have taken your shot because then, you know, ultimately, you know, you're going to get the pink slip too. Not that they'd ever fire Tony La Russa, uh, but <laughs> Uh, all right, let's uh, hop to this offseason. Not a lot to talk about because there's a lot of activity, a lot of excitement, a lot of fever. White Sox were virtually um, dead cold, uh, really not part of it at all. Not even really part of talks, uh, which is which is sort of additionally troubling. It's one thing if you don't land the guy. You know, you're not going to ding the White Sox for not getting Zach Wheeler. Hey, they, they went out there and they said, they made the statement that said, hey, we gave him the best offer. He chose somewhere else. Okay, I'm going to applaud the White Sox for at least making a run. Still got to close it, but okay. Uh, White Sox were basically a non-entity in free agency for the brief free agency. They were not part of the uh, December 1 or uh, November 30th uh, frenzy. Uh, but one key decision made, uh, imagine it hit very close to your heart. It, 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 I, it absolutely baffled and outraged me and, and many others uh, on the podcast at the time and on site. And that is the seemingly absolutely inane decision uh, not to extend the qualifying offer to Carlos Ron, which he could reject. And if so, under the old rules, which I'm guessing aren't going to change much, if we even ever have rules in baseball again, right. um, would at least get you some sort of, some sort of compensation, which you know, under the old rules would be a comp- compensatory pick, which would be you know, a pretty decent pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing it was uh, similarly baffling to you, Sam. Just to to really sum it up, what the f- <laughs> you know it's it's when that deadline passed and they said you know no qualifying offer for Carlos Rodon, I'm pretty sure I was just in a room by myself yelling at mm-hmm. the wall, just you know trying to figure out why. You <laughs> know, mm-hmm. like he was arguably your best pitcher on your staff last year, outside of Lance Lynn. In my opinion, I thought he was better than oh, Lance. Oh, he was. Year. He was, you know, yep. um, guy still very young, you know, and he just got, you know, he's, he showed you he can pitch off this injury. Now, obviously, you know, he had a little bit of tired arm cause it's his first full season in mm-hmm. you know, three years, you know, and 
I think the issue is he's a Boris client, so they got scared. But even if that's a fact, extend the qualifying offer. They're going to say no. They're 100% going to say no. Get the compensatory pick at the very least. Yes. Because on the off chance, he's like, you know, nothing else is coming in. Let me accept this offer. Then you get him back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's going to be a f- absolute frenzy when this opens again, you know, for pitching like it absolutely is. Or or let's say this, Rodan might say, hey, you know what? I, I was an all-star for half a season. Maybe I'm going to be have a Hall of Fame season if I can pitch a full set. Maybe Carlos doubtful especially if someone's knocking on the door saying uh, here's you know here's 100 million but if if someone isn't who says he doesn't want to come back he's obviously comfortable enough with the white Sox organization to come back on really what was i mean you know no offense to the Sox, probably a smart deal smart offer low ball three million dollars to come back for last year and obviously his surplus value was through the roof for last season uh he probably probably four starts worth paid off his contract um you know, so you don't know 100% he's not coming back. And yes, if he says no, or I hate the whites, I'm never coming back to it. Well, then you've got a pick in your pocket and you've done your due diligence to think at the minimum in a situation where you went out and you did the best you could, you know, if the guy didn't want to listen or if, you know, they're going to lowball them with a, you know, with a multi-year, uh, two years, 40 million or, you know, something that's just not going to get it done. Uh, well, at least you've got that pick and whether you do anything with it or not, you got, you got something. Right. Uh, the idea that you're just like, okay, you know, forget it. Or I don't know, Jerry's so smart that he knows the rules are all going to change. So this all doesn't matter. We're still going to get a crack at him or whatever thinking, you know, I've heard people say, well, they must really know he must really be hurt. You know what? I, at this point, I don't care with the value they gave him. He earned his 18 million with the half season last year. He gives us another half season. That's all-star caliber. Fine. Then he can sit for the rest of the season. We find somebody for the second half. You don't want a guy that good. White Sox don't have a surplus of starting pitching. That's another issue here too. If they had 12 guys and they're all hungry to get in and the Charlotte rotation was just nails. All right, fine. See you, Carlos. Go help a team that really needs pitching. Right. That's us. Yep. That is, this is a team that needs another starter as we saw, you know, and, you know, if people are saying, oh, he must really be hurt. Why is he throwing 99 miles an hour in the playoffs? And if he's really no kidding, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah, that, that really, that really hurt. Um, obviously like, I don't know where, what, what their plans are for the rotation in this next coming year. Like, you know, they always say, oh, we got to, you know, crochet is going to be a starter eventually, you know, Michael Kopech going to join the rotation eventually. Right. right. Good. You know, Kopech showed he can, start spot start games you know obviously they're still getting them stretched out but they didn't stretch him out <laughs> season yeah. Yeah. yeah so you can't really bank on you know however many innings he pitched. yeah it's going to be yeah, a modified can, year no matter what yeah. it's going to be modified for sure right. and and if the and if we knew the white Sox were better at getting real guys to say feel just like just provide the bridge for a for a year or even a half year instead of like the Irvin Santana's or the Ivan Nova's, you know, uh, at least recently, you know, Hans found some guys for sure. But recently it seems like these spot guys are like, what is this? That's not, that's not helping us any more than necessarily, you know, Jimmy Lambert is going to, or Renato Lopez is going to, and probably are going to be somewhat further down the depth chart. If I had confidence that there are guys just at the tip of Hans fingertips, it's just like once everything's back open again, he's going to line up three guys and we're good with pitching. Fine. So I'll certainly me a culpa, you know, months down the line, if I see what the reality is and what the plan was, and it came together, 
It's just like right now, man, you're skating on thin ice. I mean, it's like, you know, they're, you know, they're collecting DHs, but they don't have starting pitchers. I just don't always understand how everything is, is allocated with this team. And it's fun to be able to talk about it as if like next week we're playing ball, but we're not. And let's not belabor the whole lockout issue too much, Sam, because obviously we've addressed it a lot. There's not a lot happening uh, the two sides seem to be, if anything, getting further apart, or at best, they're just drifting at an equal distance, which is barely smoke signal distance away from one another. Uh, so it's not looking good for ball anytime soon. Uh, looks like we're going to be putting a whole lot of attention on our minor league teams because they will actually be playing and the White Sox will not. Give me an idea, Sam. I had a lot of people predict. I think we've had as late as 2025, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> What, uh, I mean, my, I've, I've been pretty much still sticking with like first day of summer type of thing. Uh, what's your feeling about when a realistic opening day will be for the majors this year? So I don't remember who I read it from, but it was, you know, something taking place last year was owners were talking about 120 game season for this Mm -hmm. year. So that's kind of where my mind keeps going is 120 game season. Um, so that yeah. puts us, I don't know what started June. Yeah. Um, when we've seen that thing too, where they've, where, where some, I don't know if it's true or not, or whatever. It's like the teams get all of their TV money up until they can lose like 20, 25 games off the schedule before they start losing some TV money. So boy, about the time we're getting, I think the game 20 or so, I think that's when things start to get a little bit sweatier for them because that is actual money. They're not going to get the fat cats are not going to get, and maybe that would move them. Uh, I don't know, but you're saying uh, 120 seems like uh, the feeling you're getting. Yeah, it seems like they're gonna they're willing to wait it out till about 120. Is what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I think I just was sort of picking the triple figures, just like 100 seems round, and they seem obviously very happy with just 60. I'm sure they right. just, in yeah. some ways, they're pleased as punch about the pandemic season, despite the fact that they couldn't sell enough tickets and they all lost billions and billions and trillions of dollars, which didn't happen. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they seem to pull that off. So they're like, okay, we can go as we can go as little as sixty. Right. Maybe we'll just throw a bare bone. We'll go eighty. We'll go half season. I don't know what it's going to be, but yeah, that 100, 120 area. That's getting to be like almost a nineteen eighty one strike season. I think that was about one hundred and ten. Uh, you know, legitimate enough season. It's certainly not going to be as weird as 2020 where it's like everybody made the playoffs, 60 game season. So weird. Right. Uh, Luis Roberts still managed to make it a weird one where he was an MVP for a month. And then he was <laughs> a double A player for a month. <laughs> but I mean, he was the exception. I mean, everybody else was just like, all right. Oh, wait, the season's over. Okay. Hey, we made the playoffs. <laughs> hey, the Miami Marlins made the playoffs. Talk it to the Northsiders. God bless you, Marlins. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess we're going to see. We have a lot of uh, Christina's uh, labor coverage. There's not a lot to. There's not a lot to cover. Frankly, there's not a lot always to talk about on the podcast when it comes to the labor talks because they just seem like they don't want to play ball. Well, actually, no. The players, Sam, do seem to want to play ball. Even yes, as we're talking today, they come every time they come back. They give them one more thing. It might not be much, but they're always coming back saying, "Okay, we'll go five million dollars down from what we wanted before." Uh, we'll take one team out of the lottery. They're always bringing something. And the owners are sitting back saying, okay, just, okay, just keep coming. That's good. A few more steps. And I'm not really sure why they're so unclear on the concept of negotiating. I suppose because they haven't had to do it for many, many years and maybe even decades. And this is all new to them. I don't know. I guess they just think they can, they can win. Right. And, you know, the, the players are the ones compromising. 
that, that's what the owners are baiting them into doing. But then you have the guys at the very front of it, Max Scherzer, mm-hmm. you know, those guys who are <laughs> who are really harping on we're doing this for the future. Yeah. We don't give a shit about yeah. us right now, you know. Yeah, I like when they when when the owners are shocked when suddenly just out of nowhere the players saying, "Okay, wait, we've just conceded ten points and you've given us hardly anything." Okay, forget it. You know, we're breaking it off, or we're not going to meet your deadline. And then they like drop their monocles, like, "Oh my, what?" You know, and then of course they do the PR thing where it's like somehow the players fall. And you know, it's encouraging to know maybe unlike some of the other labor stoppages, even in other sports uh, over these past I don't know twenty thirty years, fans. I know at some point we'll all get impatient. Um, you know, it's the nature of the fan. It's also the nature to say, hey, you know, I can somehow it's easier to identify with the players. Maybe they're closer to us or something uh, than the owners. So it's easier to say, hey, it's, you know, it's their fault. But well, you don't hear a lot of that. I know fans have gotten smarter if I'm in some kind of echo chamber, just hearing other smart fans out there. But the, the sentiment of, hey, you know what? If you got to lose a few games to get the right deal so you don't just keep getting hosed, uh, this timing might not be great for ownership, you know, be it coming out of a pandemic, be it sort of a little bit of a labor movement that's, that's finding a little bit more life in the world today. Uh, it might not be the best time for ownership to think that they can just pretty much win 100% of the negotiation because not only are the players seemingly not putting up with it, it seems like a lot of fans are savvy enough to say, hey, you know what, let's have this be a little bit more fair. What's the point? Right. You know, I'm, I'm personally willing to wait. Um, you know, I, I want baseball to be great. <laughs> I yeah. want it to be more, you know, reachable to, to the younger people coming up, you know, obviously even when baseball was what it was in the nineties and early two thousands, you know, I was still watching, you know, I was a big fan of the White Sox, always will be, you know, but obviously there's ways you can grow the game. Rob Manfred is the worst person in the world for that. <laughs> Absolute worst person in the world for growing the game of baseball. But, you know, he's the commissioner for some odd reason. It's the only thing Jerry Reinsdorf's ever done that I've been like, hey, yeah, go Jerry. No kidding. You know, no. Exactly. <laughs> I know. And you know, it's like I, I've brought it up several times, you know, people who are like, oh, you know, it's millionaires versus billionaires. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, and I always tell people, you, you buy a ticket to go to a game. Who are you going to see? The players, you're not going to see. Oh, let me go see what Jerry's team's up to today. You yeah, know? you don't. You don't even have that in your head. No. Yeah, you and know, even if it was, even even if it was millionaires or billionaires, you'd you still know where you'd side with because that's it's way more relatable. And yeah, it, right. it is good that more people out there are breaking that down, saying, "Hey, you know, that's a that's a fraction. Yeah, it's it's out there, but those are guys who are who are established, the mm-hmm. backbone of the game." are not millionaires and the owners have seen to it that it won't be. And it probably won't be even after this next deal, because, you know, the, the the blood of the league are, you know, in every sport really. And certainly in baseball is just these young guys are coming up, just trying to get their cup of coffee. And if they can stick, okay, maybe they do make those uh, seven figures one day, but by no means is that a guarantee. You know, and Chris Bryant showed you, you know, when it (laughs) happened to him, you know, why do you think I'm so pissed off? <laughs> you know, it was that whole thing was foreshadowing this CBA, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was basically what somebody, you know, grabbed onto and they're like, remember this, mm-hmm. this is what is going to be a huge key moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, know we, and, we're, we're guilty too. You know, Sam, the, the White Sox kept uh, magical down, didn't even give him the extension. Eloy held down, got the extension, which sort of makes you think, okay, all sins are washed away now. You remember that there were games that he could have been playing at a higher level, if not the major leagues, quicker, but you were holding him down. 
for God's sake, Kolpak. Imagine the decision that would have been made if he didn't opt out mm-hmm. uh, of, of 2020. Um, you know, you, he would have been um, suppressed and, and held down again. And he, he may still, hey, he may still be. They may need to stretch him out, not in Chicago. Who knows? Right. <laughs> well, you know, he's got to get his reps in Charlotte. You know, we got to mm-hmm. make sure he's ready. You know? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think, Sam, this won't be the last time we discuss some of these issues. But uh, again, if it is in pursuit of something that's better, more equitable, more pleasant to be able to watch, um, more pleasant to be able to enjoy. I know we're, who cares about the uh, 1040s for X player or uh, the uh, stock portfolio of Y player. Yep. But that's not just what this is about. It is yep. about some some fairness. It is about f- I just want to see the owners negotiate, even if it's like weird points. I just want to see them bringing as much to the table uh, or close to as much to the table as the players are. And they're not coming close to that. This is a very easy call. Uh, Maybe in past issues, even around the lockout season, maybe there was some legitimate back and forth about, Hey, you should be playing fewer games. You should be playing more games. It was easier to see both sides, even for 2020 Uh, this time around. I don't see what side you see on, on, on ownerships play the way that the, how far away they are from where all the rest of us are fans, players alike. And I imagine even TV networks, uh, they got to come closer. And I don't know what it's going to shake them out of these, you know, these doldrums to wake them up and get baseball back. And you really wonder if they're prepared to, you know, just paying an entire season because this is weird. There's, there's no give at this point, no give. Even after today, it was, you know, what, what little came out was, you know, the players again brought, five million down on one thing and the owners were like no we still need this and this and this and this they're like see you next week (laughs) as long as they're putting more effort into the the pr battle and some sort of tweet or news release than they are seemingly than they are actual negotiating yeah this is this is this is a doomed negotiation and if the uh, union you know holds strong yeah we may have a longer wait than we want and boy that contention window sam it'll still be open but boy you just you know, you don't want to be wasting uh, your contention window, especially when we're told it's only like a, I think it should be every season. Call me crazy yeah. as a fan. I think every year. Should we should be. But uh, since we've been told it's going to be like five years or maybe it's going to be the 2020s. Well, I don't want to lose one year off of that. Uh, we've no. already lost parts of a year. So come on. Right. And then, you know, you get to baseball in 2023 and you look at the White Sox roster and you go, oh, there's nobody here from 2021 that we thought was going to be here. Yeah. And then you really, every, every club's going to have to make that, you know, decision. If you lose a whole year of baseball, I can't keep this person. I can't keep this person. It's, there's going to be a lot of shuffling going on if that happens. Yeah. Speaking of guys who aren't there, they expected some of them are even unforced errors. Like, I don't know, Carlos Rodon. Yeah. You know, unforced errors who should be right now in the rotation or, Hey, we tried like the Wheeler thing. We tried. He just didn't want to come back. He wants to stop the market. We're going to still give him offer. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. They anyway, that's for another podcast. Uh, when we have more time to talk and devote it all to Carlos Rodon lamenting that he will very likely not be a member of the 2022 White Sox. If there is to be a 2022 White Sox, well, you could see and you can follow the 2022 White Sox playing in the lockout league, of which just recently Sam Reed had a starring, uh, spotless one inning of relief. You'll see him pitching again, no doubt you will in games to come. Uh, follow that. Uh, check out the Meet the Players if you haven't read it already uh, regarding Sam Reeves and his background as a White Sox fan. And uh, 
as always, we're not here without you listening, reading, sometimes even watching. Uh, Sam, thanks for hopping out for the first time. Let's make sure we do this again real soon. Absolutely, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody out there for checking us out. I guarantee you we'll have a podcast again probably sooner than you're ready for one. So sit tight.